Well, good morning to you and Maranatha. Our Lord comes. Amen? So while we wait, I want to talk to you about putting on the whole armor of God. We're needing it. We're depending upon it. For the last several weeks, we've been talking about some very distressing topics. We've been talking about some things that really aren't fun to discuss, somewhat troubling, maybe a whole lot troubling. But see, it does us no good to stick our head in the sand and, and act as if or pretend that some of these issues don't exist. And so we've been talking about them. I think we need to have spiritual antennas, and those spiritual antennas come from knowing God's Word. Apart from God's Word, there is no discernment to understand all that's going on around us today. We need to know what God's Word says. So this morning, I want us to talk about putting on the whole armor of God, the importance of putting on the whole armor of God, the purpose of putting on the whole armor of God, and our responsibility to prepare for the battle that is raging, to prepare for the spiritual warfare, folks, that we are part of. We need to understand that. But I've got some great news for you. Great news. We have battle-tested, effective, needed armor that comes from God. It is tried. It is equipment that is available. And God's Word tells us to put this whole armor on. It is trustworthy. And so this morning, I want to remind you of what all that entails as far as putting on the whole armor, the complete armor of God. I want to tell you and remind you that there's something that God has not given us. God has not given us the spirit of fear. What He has given us is His armor. And as we go through this, I want to remind you that it is His armor. It's not our armor. It is the armor of God. And He instructs us to put it on. Ephesians chapter 6 is where we go to discuss and talk about the whole armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. That word finally there can be translated from henceforth. From this moment on, be strong in the Lord. That's God's words, God's words admonition to you this morning. To be strong in the Lord. It won't work for you to try to be strong in yourself. Because there is not the strength you're going to need to face what this world presents as we wrestle not against flesh and blood, we're going to get to that in a second. But if you're going to be strong, it has to be be strong in the Lord. 
Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 says, I can do all things. Aren't you glad it doesn't stop there? I can do all things, not hardly, but I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Never lose sight of the fact that within our own strength, within our own abilities, we're pretty weak. And God's will for us is to depend, to look to His strength in order to use us, to motivate us, and to work through our lives. We can do all things, but only through Christ. The power is not our power. It is His. Look at 2 Corinthians. Chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. As I think about, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me, that we are to stand strong in the power of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 enters through verse 10. And lest I should be exalted above, above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul goes on to say, Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How in the world could he say that? It's because the strength that he possesses, the strength that he has, is in Christ. Bottom line is, folks, those who do not know Christ as their Savior, how do they even get out of bed in the morning? How do they manage day to day? How do they get along? See, with Christ, we have that assurance. We have that hope. We have the purpose that He gives, that He provides, that He enables us to live our daily lives. That power that we have in Christ. Be strong in the Lord. But if you're not in Christ, be afraid. Be very afraid. If you're in Christ, be assured. Be very assured that the tomb is empty. That the God in heaven, our God, He rules and reigns. That the God of all creation, He has this. He's got this. Amen? There's nothing that is occurring on the world scene today that will thwart or hamper His purpose, His plans for you, the church, the body of Christ. We are in safe hands.
because of the one we belong to. But during this time, and it can be frightening, but aren't you glad he's not giving us the spirit of fear? It can be concerning. So God's word tells us Second, uh, second Timothy. Look at Second Timothy chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ, and the things that you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Verse 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. God's word calls us to be soldiers of the cross. God's word calls us to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. God's word calls us to consider ourselves soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ and endure the hardness that the world is going to present, that the world is going to bring into our lives. To be a good soldier of the cross. What a privilege. What a privilege. I, I appreciate, I honor I love all of our veterans, all of those who have served in the military. Honor is due them, and I praise God for them. But I'm also appreciative. I'm also thankful for those who understand that you are a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ, that God has called you to battle. He's called you to fight the good fight and to stand for Him. And in so doing, you are instructed to put on the whole armor of God. It's not the armor of churchanity. Let's make something very clear. It is not the armor of churchanity. It is the belt of truth. It's not the belt of creeds. If it was the belt of churchanity, it would read this way. Put on the belt of creeds. Put on the breastplate of ritual. Put on the boots of good deeds. Put on the helmet of baptism. Put on the shield of obedience. Take you the sword of tradition. That's the armor of churchanity. But the armor of God, His armor, has everything to do with what He you to be used to fight the battle. Verse 11, Put on the whole armor armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil the complete armor of God it's panoplia kind of an interesting word the armor it's panoplia it comes from two Greek words meaning every weapon every weapon it's referred to the complete set of defensive and offensive weapons that a Roman soldier needed in order to march into battle. And God's Word tells us that we are to put on this panoplia. Paul had the luxury, as he was in a Roman prison here, witnessing, highballing that Roman soldier that had on the belt and all that was attached to that belt, from the sword to the breastplate, the helmet, those hobnail boots, everything that went into the Roman soldier's armor that made the Roman army the most feared, 
and the most formidable foe imaginable. Paul was able to witness that. The Holy Spirit moved on him to take that analogy and use it for us to understand the weapon, the armor that we possess that God provides. Weapon that He provides. It's critical. This is critical. That you understand this. We fight not for victory. The battle God has called us to fight, we fight from the victory that's already been won. We need to understand, we're not fighting to win. When He said it is finished, our salvation was sure. When the angels said, He's not here for He's risen, come see the place where the Lord lay, the victory was won. The enemy's plans were thwarted. So we're not putting on that whole armor to fight to win the war. We're already fighting. Because God's Word tells us we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. More than conquerors through Christ. So we're to put on this whole armor. Why? God's Word tells us why we need it. In order to stand against the wiles, the cunning devices, the schemes of the devil. And folks, you need to understand, the devil hates you. He hates you, church. He hates the body of Christ. And he has good reason to hate the body of Christ. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the cunning devices of the devil. Romans chapter 16, verse 20, gives you a reason why he hates you so much. Look at Romans chapter 16, verse 20. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Satan hates you because he understands God's plan is to crush him under your feet. That is part of the purpose of the church, the body of Christ. When we take up our position in the heavenlies, seated with Christ, when we take up our position, when the rapture of the church takes place, and we take up our position... Seated in the heavenlies, there is no place for Satan. That is going to push him out of that seat. Satan goes before the Father, even today, accusing the brethren. Did you know that? But here's, here's the good also. When God's Word says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who, who, can, who can make any accusation against anybody here? Satan certainly can't do it. He may try. But see, God is specific that the church, the body of Christ, is going, that God is going to crush Satan under our feet. First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3. Tells us that the church, the body of Christ, know ye not that we shall judge angels? 
Now these are the fallen angels. How much more things that pertain to this life? So if God is going to crush Satan under your feet shortly, if God is going to use the church, the body of Christ, to judge angels, He has an invested interest in causing you to slip up and to trip up. He knows He can't possess you. He knows He can't have you. He knows that you are outside His reach But if He can cause your witness to be ineffective, if He can cause you to stumble and fall and give up and lay your weapons down and run in defeat, then that makes Him happy. I don't want to make Him happy. I want Satan to think every morning, oh no, he's awake. Oh no, he's out of his pajamas and he's in his pants. Oh no. That's my prayer. See, we need to understand that Satan is not omnipotent. You understand that, right? Satan is not omnipotent. He can't read your mind. All he can do is observe you. So his cunning devices, his schemes, based on history of mankind, fallen man, but primarily your history, observing you. He's not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. Certainly not omniscient. So what he watches for are the things that we let him in on that he sees. He's not omnipotent. And the other thing about that, I've heard some people, and just recently, I was talking to someone about, um, you know, they were saying, we, uh, we, we were talking about the Lord returning. Ah, oh, you Christians, you've been saying that for so many years. Uh, I have heard that ever since I was little, and, and my grandfather, and then my great-grandfather, and my great... You Christians have been talking about that for years and years. We need to understand something. The devil is under the false assumption, he is under a false illusion, that he can thwart the plans of God. See, he's tried since the garden. And historically, we see Satan originally trying to stop the seed of the woman. Through history, he tried, to, he tried to stop the seed of the woman. In Genesis chapter 6, when the, uh, the sons of God, the fallen angels, came into the daughters of men, and the offspring were giants, and, and every thought was evil continually, and, and the demonic horde was there. From all the way through, Satan understood that his days were numbered because of the seed of the woman and God's promise of a redeemer. He's been trying to thwart the seed of the woman. I mean, it got down to the point where, where Israel only had one, one seed left. The whole thing with Esther in trying to destroy the nation of Israel, trying to, it, at the birth of Christ, uh, that whole story centered on Satan trying to, to kill all the babies that were born, understanding that Christ had been born of the seed of the woman. He has tried to thwart that all these years. So historically, we we see that what Satan does now. I am convinced because he tried it with the Lord in the the wilderness. He tried to convince the Lord, 
You bow down to me. You worship me. And I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. And the Lord didn't say, you don't have those to give. You can't do that, devil. You know why? Because Satan's the god of this world. Those kingdoms do belong to him. So ever since then, he has been wanting to thwart the plans and purpose of God with false messiahs, with false leaders. So all the way, all down through history, there have been opportunities because he, he didn't know when Christ is coming. He didn't know when the tribulation is starting. He didn't know. So people say, well, uh, on, on the day of Pentecost, and this is true, on the day of Pentecost, Peter says, this is that which was prophesied by Joel concerning the beginning of the tribulation. That was happening. Prophetically, that was happening. The time was right. But see, what God had hidden, what was secret, was this present dispensation of grace. And so you, you had the time was right then. People say, well, in World War I, the time was right. I am certain that there was some kind of false messiah had that happened. World War II, all the historically, down through the ages, we know we know that God has been working to in patient. God is not willing that any should perish in, in, the, in the preaching of the cross and the salvation that has been, has been offered. But the whole time, Satan has been preparing, trying to get ready for when that Messiah, that false Messiah comes on the scene. But never before, never before has the technology and to move that day forward been as real as it is now. And I'm convinced that the time of the Gentiles is about to be fulfilled. But we have Satan actively working. We need the armor of God today more than ever before so that we can stand against the wiles, the methods, the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2 tells us that Satan is the God, or that, that Satan is the prince and power of the air. 2 Corinthians 4.4 tells us that Satan is the god of this world. There are dominions, there are principalities, there are powers that are at his beck and call and control. And folks, we need to understand the power and the might that these principalities possess. One of these days I am going to preach a sermon on the principalities and powers that exist in this world. Just as soon as I can work up the courage, I'm just going to be plain factual with you. So you pray for me. As soon as I work up the courage to preach on those principalities and powers. And can I tell you this? It's not the principalities and powers that I'm concerned about. It's about a lot of believers 
who get pretty upset with you and the divisiveness that comes whenever you start preaching truth that relates to the forces of Satan. It is not a fun study. So you pray for me. It is a needed study, and it's something we need to understand in these, I believe, final days. Who are these principalities? Who are these powers? Who are these rulers of darkness of this world? And folks, I'm here to tell you, they are being exposed. They are coming out of the woodwork. We are seeing them on the streets. We are hearing about them on the news. We are listening to satanic activity going on all around us each and every day. And we need to have on the whole armor of God if we're going to stand against those things. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. but against principalities and powers. Spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, what does God call you to do? Stand. Having done all to stand, God calls us to stand. It's time, believers. It is time for us to get serious about our relationship with God. It's time for us to get serious about who we are in Christ. It is time for us to understand that the things that are happening in the world today have spiritual implications and the world is being pulled apart as the God of this world fights for His position. And as we take a stand, it's going to take courage, it's going to take faith, it's going to take determination. It grieves me, the number of Christians who are either asleep or they're so in love with this world that they're not wanting to take a stand. The problem today is that Christians are way too comfortable. They're too satisfied. They're too love this world and the things of this world. God's Word tells us that we are to stand with our battle array on, with it firmly and properly affixed. I think it's interesting that the first piece of armor that the Bible tells us that we are to put on is the belt of truth. Verse 14, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. The first thing is truth. See, everything else, that belt is the very first thing that went on. The breastplate with that, the sword was carried with that. If that, tr- if that belt of truth is not fixed, fixed properly, if it's loose, the rest of your armor is not going to function properly. John 14, 6, Christ tells us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. People say, well, what is truth? You get into debates, you get into argue, arguments with people, and they want to know, well, what is truth? Truth is so relative. You know, there are really no absolutes. Well, just that statement when you think about it, There are no absolutes. Well, then, if that's true, 
then that statement is not true. But anyway, we won't get into that philosophy aspect of it. Let me tell you who is truth. Jesus Christ is truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Him. John chapter 17, verse 17. Thy word is truth. That belt that goes across your waist, everything else is based on that piece of equipment. If you are missing that truth, then nothing is going to fit right. So you better make sure that you have the truth. And this is where you find it. You're saying, I search for truth. Don't search no longer. Here it is. Study it. Search the Scriptures. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Workmen that need not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. So folks, let me encourage you to get into the word of God. As you think about putting on that breastplate, I mean that, that belt of truth. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate covered the main part of the torso, covered the heart, part of the major parts of the body, and as we think about the breastplate of righteousness, just as the rest of the armor is His, the righteousness is His. It's not yours. Because what does God's Word tell us about your righteousness? There are none righteous, no, not one. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There are none righteous. So the righteousness that we possess, the righteousness that we have, praise be to God, 2, Timothy, I mean 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that we have been made the righteousness of God in Christ, in Him. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That breastplate of righteousness is God's righteousness. Titus 3.5 Not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to His mercy He has saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Look at Romans chapter 3. Boy, I love this portion of Scripture. I mean, I love all the portions of Scripture, but boy, this just jumps out at me. Romans chapter 3, start with verse 20. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified. And what does the word justified mean? Declared righteous. By the deeds of the law shall no one be declared righteous. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. 
What is the righteousness? What's the rightness of God? Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith or the faithfulness of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all of you for all them that believe, for there is no difference. The righteousness of God. That breastplate that we put on. It is the faithfulness. The reason we can have that righteousness is because of the finished work of Christ on Calvary's cross. We have that His righteousness. We put on that breastplate of righteousness. What a special piece of armor that is. The next piece, verse 15. And your feet shod with the preparation of the good news, the gospel of peace. The word preparation there means readiness. Readiness. The Roman soldier used hobnail boots. And those boots had nails. They had spikes in them. And so that readiness, when a Roman soldier went into war and they took their position, they took their stand, it was almost impossible to get them to move. There was no slipping. There was no sliding. There was no stumbling. Those, those boots with those nails sunk into the ground and they were almost unmovable. God's Word says you have your feet shod the readiness of the good news of peace. That good news of peace, I think it's talking about two kinds. There are two kinds of peace that are important. You have that peace of God once you're a believer. Once Christ is living in you and you, you, you have been saved, and regardless of what's going on in your life, God's Word says that you're to bring your petitions and your requests before Him uh, with thanksgiving, and He promises to give you that peace that passes understanding. Having that peace with God, according to Philippians 4. There's a more important peace that you've got to have first, and that's that peace with God. And if you don't have that peace with God, you'll never have the peace of God. That peace with God, it acknowledges that we are enemies, that we are lost, that we are separated, that there's enmity between God and man, more importantly, between you and God. And you recognize that enmity. You recognize that you're a sinner, that you are lost, and you want to have that firm footing, that firm position. And so you have the knowledge of that good news that you can have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the peace that God offers to all who believe by faith, put their trust in the fact that He died for them, was buried, and rose again. Those who believe the gospel. Your feet shod with the preparation of the good news of peace. And you stand in that fashion. And above all, isn't that interesting? The next piece of this armor, verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith. See, you need to understand that without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
Don't you find that curious? He's talked about the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and the, and the, the, the boots of, of peace to give you a firm position. But then he says in verse 16, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench most of the fiery darts of the wicked one. Oh, I read that wrong. Some of the fiery darts of the wicked one. No, I read it wrong again. All the fiery darts of the wicked one. It is that shield of faith that enables us to stand against the attacks that Satan and those principalities and those powers of darkness bring against you. People say, you know what? I just struggle. I struggle. I struggle. Satan just seems to wear and tear at me. Well, two things. Number one, you need to understand that when you sin, you can't blame that on the devil. The devil didn't always make you do it. Your flesh is plenty capable of making you sin. But the second thing is because you drop your shield or you set your shield down. You need to hold that. You need to have faith that that shield is your protector. Look at Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. Tim, if you could throw it up, I won't have to turn to it. Genesis 15, verse 1. I love having him back there. And after these things, where the Lord came into Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Aren't you glad of that? I am your shield. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. So when you lift that shield and you hold that shield and you have the armor of God and you're depending on that shield, understand that that shield is God Himself. And that quenches all the fiery darts of the wicked one. He cannot penetrate that shield is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You can believe it. You can understand that he loves you. And one of the desires of his heart is to protect you. Above all, the shield of faith. You can trust him with your future. You can trust him with your family. You can trust Him with your life. I, I, I've got news for you. That, 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 I, I, I don't fear for my life. I don't fear for my safety. But boy, when I think of the world that my grandbabies are about to be raised in, it causes me concerned. And I have to continue turning that over to God. I have to continue saying, Lord... Pray for them. They're in your hands. They belong to you. And I know that the future is in God's hands. My family is in God's hands. For He is our future. And we can honestly know, God, you've got this.
You've got this. All the fiery darts. Quickly, the helmet of salvation. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. That's the part that goes over your head. That's the thinking where the thinking occurs. God's Word says you'll know that you have eternal life. We're to have the mind of Christ. How many Christians, they, they talk to you. One of the main things that I counsel people on is their doubts about their salvation, about their faith. Folks, that's the reason I believe that the helmet of salvation goes over your head. You have that helmet of salvation. You put that on. That salvation is not based on your feelings. It's not based on your emotions. It is based on what God's Word says. And by faith, you believe it. You accept it. You put on that helmet of salvation. And it's the Word of God that you know that He's a God who cannot lie. And your salvation is secure. You are complete in Him. Fact. Because He's a God that cannot lie. Fact. Christ came into the world to save sinners. You believe that? I'm a sinner. You believe that? You're a sinner. Do you believe that? He came into the world to save sinners. I'm a sinner. Therefore, He came into the world to save me. And by faith, I believe that what God's Word says, when the Philippian jailer says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. I take God at His Word. Put that helmet of salvation on, knowing that salvation is yours, and the sword of the Spirit. That's the first of two offensive weapons. Sword of the Spirit. Here you go. The helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Thy Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. God's Word tells us in Psalm 119, uh, 105, that Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We wonder why we trip when we're not in God's Word. It's the sword of the Spirit. God's Word tells us in Hebrews 4.12 that it's sharper and powerful than any two-edged sword. What is our weapon, Christian? Here it is. This is it. Use this to fight the foe and see how they flee. And I'm talking about foe. I'm talking about prince of darkness. I'm talking about those principalities and those powers. Sharper than any two-edged sword. The will that you have to know how to rightly divide it. Right? If you don't, if you don't know how to rightly divide it, it's not going to be the weapon that you're needing. The second offensive weapon is praying always with all prayer. Because I see prayer as being an offensive weapon. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. 
and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in bonds that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Folks, yes, God gives us the whole armor of God. He gives us everything we need to fight the warfare. But if we neglect that prayer time, if we neglect that time of going to Him, then you are going to be a weak soldier. Let me tell you. It's that communing with God that everyone, every one of us needs. And we're an ambassador. Paul was an ambassador here in bonds. And he said, pray for me that I might speak boldly as I ought to speak. Folks, we're moving into some dangerous territory and dangerous times. I can't, I can't emphasize enough how important it is for the church, the body of Christ, to understand the times in which we live. And as Serenity Song said, or as 1 Thessalonians 5 says, that we're children of the day. We're not children of the night. The day of the Lord, the tribulation period, is not going to come upon us without us understanding what these times mean. No, we're not going to go through the tribulation. We're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. The rapture of the church is going to occur. Praise God for that. But that doesn't mean there's not going to be persecution. There does not mean that even today, this very moment, as you walk out of this building, you need to understand the importance of putting on the whole armor of God and being prepared to fight the battle. And this morning... If you don't know Christ as your Savior, let me emphasize the importance of by faith trusting Jesus Christ. If you don't have Him, as I said earlier, be scared, be very scared. If you have Him as Savior, be assured, be very sure that your life is in His hands. If you don't know Christ, the gift of salvation, God offers to all who believe. He died for you. He was buried. He rose again for you. And the gift of eternal life is extended to you by His grace and His mercy. There's nothing you have to do. Well, I'm going to get my life cleaned up. I am going to, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to get back in church. I am going to do this, this, and this, and this. God's not interested in that. He's interested in by grace through faith making you a new creation, trusting in Him. It's not about what you do. Salvation is about what He's done. And by faith you trust that. That's what honors Him. That's what pleases Him. Gift. Let's pray. Father, we come before You this morning and we praise Your holy and precious name for that gift of salvation that gift of eternal life that's ours, that's not a hope so, it's not a maybe, but for those who by faith have trusted in Christ Jesus, it's an absolute certainty. Father, how thankful I am this morning that, uh, that heaven is my home, 
Father, how thankful that I am, regardless of my feelings, regardless of my emotions. Father, your word declares that those who have believed, many of us here today have believed, that Father, we're going to be with you in eternity. And how I pray that if there's someone here this morning that has rejected, has denied, that this will be the moment that they'll understand fully that you love them, that you died for them, that you hung on a cross for them, you shed your blood for them. May they take it personally this very moment. And Father, may the rest of us as believers be serious about our stand, about our walk, about our watch. And we pray these things in that precious, wonderful name of Jesus Christ that every knee is going to bow to, every tongue is going to confess to. For your glory, Father. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.